0: And for Rays of the One Light, the weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Week 6, the importance of soul receptivity. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Chapter 1 of Gospel of St. John states... But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This was a passage Paramahansa Yogananda often quoted to his disciples. Be in tune, he would tell them. Delusion the can't touch you if you will keep in tune. A few of you will fall, he once said. But if needed be, if you would stay in tune, Of a disciple who became highly advanced, even though he didn't meditate much, he said, she got there by by attunement. To one who found meditation difficult, he said, I will meditate for you as long as you stay in tune. Truth is a state of consciousness, not a well-worded definition. It is in that consciousness, above all, that our lives are transformed. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, To those who are ever attached to me and who worship me with love, I impart discernment by means of which they can attain me. Out of my love for them, I, the divine within them, set a light in them, the radiant lamp of wisdom, thereby dispelling the darkness of their ignorance. Thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh,
1: Oh. Good morning everyone. Welcome to Sunday service. It's our joy to share with you. This is my wife Marga. My name is Peter. And we're we live here at Ananda Village. I want to welcome all those who are visitors and guests, especially congratulations to the yoga teacher trainees who are finishing up this week. So I'll give them a round of applause. <laughs> it's been a joy having you here this month. You should stick around for next week, for Inner Renewal Week. <laughs> so I'm going to continue reading Ray from uh, Whispers from Eternity. These are Prayer Demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. Tune us that we may hear thy voice. Volumes of thy savior voice resounded through the loudspeaker of every loving heart. The voice of thy wisdom roams through the ether of space, seeking everywhere hearts that are tuned to ecstasy. Sadly, thy warning sermons pass unheard by souls deafened with the static of sense pleasures. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls, long distracted by the static of our indifference. Fine-tune us with a delicate touch of soul perception. Grant us the privilege of hearing thy magic melodies in the ecstasy of divine awakening. So soul receptivity. Receptivity tends to be a difficult concept for the modern Western mind. And it's, if we look back in history, we came from a lower age of Kali Yuga where things were all fixed in form and nobody really thought about changing themselves or doing much. But we're now we're moving into a different age, we're moving into the age of energy where the individual came to the fore. So we, as we move through the European Enlightenment and the changes of society and democratization and the individual is the measure of all things and I think, therefore I am, and we moved into an era that was very different, that we sort of started focusing inside on us, thinking of what we could do, striving for competition, the survival of the fittest, making something of yourself, especially here, the American consciousness, get ahead, strive, crush the other guy. (laughs) And all that doesn't lend itself so well to the concept of receptivity. It's all about striving and me and going. And, you know, it's something that I can definitely relate to and where I came from. it's a difficult concept on the spiritual path. And unfortunately, a lot of spiritual New Age thinking misses that part of receptivity. It's all about doing more pranayama, doing more difficult postures, doing something, you know, more reps, getting going, more repetitions. It's not about stilling the mind and tuning in. And that's really separates. It's a big separation in our society of sort of true seekers who are moving for enlightenment and those who tend to maybe just dabble or haven't quite gotten there yet. And it's a little bit like the, I call it the mountain climbing mentality, which is something I can relate to as mountain climbing. But it's, it's interesting because nobody thought of climbing mountains sort of until we moved into Dwapara Yuga. I mean, people, the natives would go to the mountaintop and seek an expansive view or something, but nobody thought of trying to climb the hardest mountain, the highest mountain, by the highest route in winter, in the most difficult situation. I mean, that's a very modern concept. (laughs) And it doesn't make a lot of sense (laughs) when you think about it, but it really fits with that consciousness of the modern age of, it's me, it's striving, it's overcoming, it's willpower, it's putting out the energy, it's doing it better than the other guy. It's a self-aggrandizing, focused, concentrated activity. And it's good. It has some good points to it, the concentration. But that mountain climbing mentality isn't so good when it's applied to the spiritual path because we're not trying to get there ahead of everybody else by the most difficult route by the ones that's never been climbed we're trying to open ourselves up a little bit more to what's out there the flow of this soul receptivity so i was definitely you know mountain climbing mentality when i started yoga and it was it was all about you know how many pranayams can i do and You know, those yoga postures you get into, it's like, well, let's do more of the hard postures and we'll skip the relaxation because what the heck is relaxation about anyway? I mean, why are we doing that? I mean, this is where the work is, is these things. So, you know, gradually I came to Ananda and, and I was faced with the fact that, well, maybe there's more to the spiritual path than more reps of pranayama, more repetitions. And it's actually in all our teachings throughout it and it tends to you can skip it you can sort of focus on the technique but as swami puts out this path as master put it out there's always that part about receptivity so think about all our practices think about the energization it exercises what are we doing we're drawing energy in tense with will relax and feel hung saw technique you do your techniques you sit in the silence. You relax. You commune with one of the eight aspects of God. The OM technique. What are we trying to do? We're trying to receive. We're trying to bring in that vibration of the oneness. Letting that OM take over our bodies. Let the Guru come in through that OM vibration. Practicing Kriya Yoga. It's given through an initiation. It's given attention of devotion to the Guru. Of an offering. It's not just an energy technique. Think of our ceremonies. Just this morning we did the purification ceremony open your heart to me and i will enter and take charge of your life think of healing prayers healing prayers open us as a channel of the divine channeling energy through it's not mountain climbing mentality i'm going to heal you it's channeling energy think about the festival of light we invite those of you who feel so inclined come up and receive the touch of light from the masters so if you tune into this path, it's hard to ignore that aspect that there's supposed to be something we're receiving. But what is it we're receiving? I mean, attunement we talk about it and it's it's a difficult concept for a lot of people. It was a difficult concept for me to tune into, to tune into attunement. And it was you know, I started thinking about it and I just want to share some of the things that helped me get a grip on attunement. And attunement is really just bringing consciousness intuitively into the body, tuning in, receiving a different consciousness. This may sound like a hard thing, but we actually do it all the time. Consciousness is an interactive thing. It is something that we are always receiving. We're always transmitting things. Just think about your own culture. Just think about your own family. Think about the things that you pick up. And if you need to... Get some examples if you're sort of immersed in your ocean of swimming around that you can't tell that you're receiving these things. Think for a moment, uh, maybe you went, for me, one of the things that came clear is I went on a backpacking trip, where you go go somewhere with just a few people where you're in a small group for just a short time. What happens at the end of a, a week where you've just been with one group? You start having your own ways of speaking. You start having catchphrases that you refer to things. You have sh- start having a shared consciousness that grew just because you were interacting with that group in that time. There's also in families or between spouses, there's this interaction of consciousness. We used to have uh, a rule in my house when we played Pictionary, we, we wouldn't let my two sisters be on the same team because they were in so in tune that they could just, one would put a line <coughs> on the paper and the other one would guess it, what it was. And you could see that with spouses too. So it's, there is that attunement. Another place that it came home to me is my wife, Marga, is from Spain. And so you go to another culture and first when you get there, the consciousness is very different. You start tuning in though and it becomes natural to be kissing perfect strangers on the cheek and <laughs> having, having dinner at 11 o'clock at night and you know all these things that seem a little bit absurd to begin with, you start just tuning in and it seems, yeah, this is perfectly <coughs> natural. Then you get back to America and you go, what, we were eating dinner at 11 o'clock? Why are we doing that? So you can—it's just an attunement. And if you want to be in tune with something, what do you do? You mix with those people. You go to a place where that is strong. If you want to learn art, you go with artists. You want to learn success, you go with success. You want to learn hip hop, you go to the South Bronx. <laughs> you just <laughs> go to those people that you want to be—that you want to be like. That that interchange of consciousness. Now, for our attunement, what we're talking about—are we talking about soul, real receptivity? To become hip-hop artists? Probably not. We're talking about God-realization. So what is it that we're trying to receive if we're looking for God-realization? We're trying to receive God, and it comes through the channels of the gurus. It comes through enlightened souls. It comes through what's that higher consciousness that's around it. And Swami had an interesting uh, lesson. In his lessons, he said something... Interesting, he said the purpose of yoga practice. He didn't say a purpose. He said the purpose of yoga practice is to still the body, mind, and emotions to become more receptive and more aware of the flow of God's grace within us. That's what we're doing. That's the purpose of yoga practice. It's not about how many pranayamas you can do. It's about becoming more open, more receptive to those channels of the guru. As I said in the reading, Yogananda, when he worked with his the people, his disciples, he would often just be in silence. He would often just say, stay in tune and I will meditate for you. When he was meeting the public, when he would be out uh, greeting people who are new on the path or bringing people into the first time or being a host at Mount Washington, he was incredibly gregarious and affable personality. He would be talking about the higher truths. He would be expounding about yoga philosophy and be a wonderful conversationalist. And when he got back to his disciples, what did he emphasize? He just emphasized silence. He just emphasized being in that vibration of tuning into his consciousness. There's that story in the path, which many of you have read, that when Swami found himself alone for the second time after he first met Master, he figured, oh my, this is my chance. I have to, you know, elucidate some great truth here with the Master. I have to tune in and get him to answer my question. And so he asked him, Master, what does Om sound like? And Master just sort of sat there, and he goes, Mmm. <laughs> so Swami, you know, okay, uh, how do you hear it? And Master just goes, you know, he puts his puts his hand up in the mudra for the Om technique, and that was all he said. And Swami just got the message that oh, you know, maybe this isn't the time for having a conversation. And it was a very difficult lesson for many of the disciples because. There's often, we come with this mountain climbing mentality, this uh, lack of receptivity, the modern Western mind. And, and master had to employ a number of interesting techniques to get people to be open and receptive. He would, he would break down the psychological barriers in a number of different ways. Sometimes he would, uh, Kriyananda related, that sometimes he would just say things were completely off the wall and just make you stop and say, what? And then at that point, he was breaking through those barriers. Or There was another disciple who, no matter what she did, because there was this resistance, the master could feel it and the way he worked with her, no matter what she did, he would criticize her. He would scold her. And quite vociferously, quite vigorously. And she would just start defending herself and, you know, like we all do, we'd get back in our egos and, no, master, you're wrong. And, they'd talk, and this would go on and on. And every time they would meet, you know, master would scold her for something. And sometimes it was, something she knew she hadn't done it was completely off the wall completely ridiculous and finally she got in she just said okay you know master is giving me this i'll take it and she stopped the resistance she stopped complaining and master never scolded her again that was it he broke through that psychological barrier of you're not receiving me you're not being open to what i need you to be doing right here and so master would then be able to work with his disciples' consciousness. Now, does Master need to be in the body to do this? It's hard for him to scold us, maybe, although we can feel that too, but it's that consciousness is still there. Consciousness is eternal. Master's consciousness is is all around us. It's here. We just still need to draw on that. We still need to attune ourselves to that. And how do we do that? Well, we are fortunate to have an incredible example in Swami Kriyananda here. Swami Kriyananda has... Perfected, if I could be so bold as to say that, the techniques of receptivity to the Guru's grace. And if we just see everything he does, how he lives his life, he says, every, I strive that every thought is the thought of my Guru, that I strive not to have any of my own personal thoughts, that this is just, I am channeling the Guru in everything I do. All his music that he's written, he's tuned in, he says, this is just a, a channel of the divine. This is the channel of coming through my Guru, that I'm doing this. The books he's written, he'll sit down and write, especially now. I mean, the Bhagavad Gita, the commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita, he wasn't writing it. He was channeling Master coming through that. And it's, you know, it just came out in a month. He wrote that book, or he didn't write it, but it came through him in that time. And this is something he's been doing and modeling for us forever. It's There was a story, people always ask him and said, well, we have a satsang with him. He's, say, all right, what's in, what's in store for this year? What's coming up? How do you see Ananda going this year? And one time, this was fairly early on, somebody asked him that question. and He said, he just kind of looked at him and said, you know, you just don't get it. You think that I have a plan. I don't have a plan. I'm just doing what my guru wants me to do. I'm just channeling, the, receiving this guidance as it comes. And we move from one thing to the next and the community unfolds. That's what we do. It's also important, another way to tune in is to just be with like-minded people, to be in a satsang like this, to come to Inner Renewal Week next week, to come to the teachings at the Expanding Light. There's an attunement there. There's people who are all trying to create, trying to channel that divine, trying to create that magnetism, trying to have, have that come into the, to our consciousness to be able to do that. And it's interesting. You think, oh, we're just a bunch of, people here sitting together and but there's an attunement to that. So think of this, when we chant om, we just chant om and everybody comes in and it's a beautiful sound, it's a harmonious chanting of om. Now you may think that this is natural, but if you go to a group, for example, some of you may have had this experience if you go to a meditation group or somewhere that they're just starting out with some of these things, like we had the example. We went to teach in Mexico, and we were down there with a group who was just getting started, and they hadn't been able to have much contact with Ananda, or they're just getting going. And we tried to chant Om with them. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> you chant Om, and there's a—they're not in tune. There's a cacophony of sounds that are coming out of that. You know, how is it that we can all come in on the same note? I don't chant the same note of Om that Marga would chant, that somebody else would chant, but when we chant, it comes together. We chant Om. There's an attunement there. There's a way of bringing that, of coming in, of having that togetherness with it. So another, I wanted to talk a little bit about another aspect of our path, the highest aspect of our path, and that's the, the aspect of Kriya Yoga. Because Kriya really exemplifies this sense of needing the receptivity, of needing the attunement to coming in. Kriya, in the final analysis, is a technique. It's a breathing technique. It's a way of moving energy in the body. You do a number of things. There's a number of mechanics to it. It could be written down. It could be put on the Internet. It is on the Internet. That isn't the way we teach it. But it's, it could be a simply mechanical technique and people could start tuning in with mountain-climbing mentality and start seeing how many repetitions they could do and the reality is they probably wouldn't get that far. They wouldn't really be able to go to the essence of what it is because the essence of what Kriya is, it's an attunement with a guru and this is a channel, it's a divine gift that's been given to us. For many, many, many centuries, Kriya was not given to the public. It was given only to sannyasis, only those who had dedicated their lives, who had focused completely on the search for God and who they felt were worthy of receiving this technique. And then as we moved into Dwapara Yuga, Babaji lifted that restriction and with the initiation of Lahiri Mahashaya, he said, yes, you may give this to all truth-seeking souls, and why was that? It was because the consciousness of the planet had changed enough as we moved into a new yuga, a new age, that consciousness had gone to where people were open. People could receive the, this techniques. They could understand what it meant to receive the guru's grace, to, turn, to tune into that. And it's given, not just as a printed page, it's given as an initiation. And what is that initiation? Again, it's a receiving of a touch of a transmission of consciousness. And Kriyananda says that that true consciousness really needs to come back from that source of the God-realized Master. So it needs to come from a a line, a touch. So it's come from Master through Kriyananda, through the Yogacharyas at Ananda that give that technique. But there's an initiation. And in his Gita commentary, Swami says, and it's best not to take that initiation lightly. It's best to say this is something sacred because he said I put it and said it may not be good karma to take it lightly. He puts that little warning out there for us. So it's as we take an initiation, as we receive that, then it's a sacred thing. It's uh, another technique. It's another way of getting through that protection to open our hearts to move into a a way of receiving of bringing that sense of of divine oneness into our hearts. So Swami had a very interesting. Experience with the initiation. He, as many of you know, was lived with Master uh, Paramahansa Yogananda for the last three years of Yogananda's life. And during that time, three and a half years, he was taught. But he was he was very new. He was a twenty year old. It took him a while to move into it. And Master passed away in 1952, after about three and a half years. And then Kriyananda was with the organization for a while, but he didn't really. The maturity, or the he wasn't profoundly into the practice enough to move into the some of the subtleties of the higher kriyas, and so after his separation from SRF, he was wanting to know more about some pro, some questions, more uh, pro, getting deeper into the practice of kriya yoga. So he w- was in India, and he found a disciple, a direct disciple, or in the lineage of Lahiri Mahashaya. and he asked him these questions in the this person said, well, I, I can only give you this through initiation. I can't just tell you about the higher Kriyas. I need to give this to you through an initiation. And so Kriyananda thought about that a little bit, and he said, well, you know, it's, I need to move deeper in this, and I don't have the support of my guru-bhais. I'm not in the organization anymore, and this seems like a good way to do it. So he said, okay, you know, after all, it's the same lineage. I mean, Lahiri Mahashaya is, is a guru of our guru's guru, And so it's in the lineage, it's the same Kriya Yoga, it came from Babaji. So he thought, well, okay, I'll take initiation there. So he took the initiation into one of the higher Kriyas with this disciple of the Mahashayas. And he said, right after that, something started to change. Something was different, something went wrong. And I had lost my, I realized later, as as he thought about it, I had lost my attunement with my Guru. I had lost my attunement with Master. Which was guiding me and telling me what to do and doing everything. And for two or three months he said he had a really hard time until he finally came to this realization, Yeah, that's what's happened. I've lost my attunement with my guru. And at that point he mentally renounced that other initiation and the attunement came back just like that. And he said, That's it. This is a sacred attunement. He's never you know, he was never tempted to change paths, but even the something so subtle as saying, Well, I'll just you know, take some initiation here. It's not something to be trifled with. It's a very sacred thing to take that initiation, to tune into a guru or to, to choose a guru. And if you don't have a guru at the moment, or if you're not drawn to this path, the guru will come. When the disciple is ready, that channel will come. And it's the surest way, it's really the only way, is what Kriyananda said and Yogananda said. The only way to really approach the divine is by that attunement, by that receptivity, of a God-realized soul. He said the scars, or the little vrittis, the vortices in our spine, are drawn up by the guru's grace. That it's not only our own self-effort. Self-effort is important. There is a part of that. You have to have energy. You have to have focus. You have to have concentration. You have to have a sense that you are doing something for this. But you also have to tune in to that guru's grace. So I'd like to close with a, a little practice of a technique that I'm sure many of you have heard about or done or read about and not done. And (laughs) it's something that I wanted to do because as I was thinking about this, I said, oh yeah, I know that technique. But then I go, well, how many times do I really do that? How many times do I take the time and bring that in and really try to do that? Because it's sort of like the relaxation when I first started doing yoga postures. Well, that's not the technique. That's not really that important. It's just, you know, I want to do a few more repetitions of my kriya but it's important. So i like to so all, this is a technique of just visualizing the guru and bringing that consciousness inside and then expanding it outward. So just take a moment and you can focus on the picture of Yogananda there or one of the gurus here. And just take a moment and look into the eyes of the guru and just try to focus in on those eyes, focus in on that consciousness. It's not just a picture, it's not just a, a being, a physical body, it's a channel for the divine. It's a God-realized representation of a stream of consciousness, of God-realization that we need to bring into our souls. So take a moment and look at those eyes. <coughs> Feel a connection. Feel that that consciousness is coming into your consciousness. Mentally, say to the guru, show me God. Introduce me to God. Reveal the divine truths. Now close your eyes and focus in the heart center. See if you can feel a response there heart is the receiving station that divine intuition feel that response is divine bliss divine love and once you feel that in the heart disassociate that feeling with any sense of a physical form of the guru. Disembody that sensation into a pure divine bliss, divine love, Now take that sensation, start to move it through your entire body. Expanding it out of the heart chakra into the other energy centers throughout the body. Feel that that consciousness, that bliss is taking over the body. That grace of the guru Finally, take it outside the body, breaking down the bonds of ego, of ego consciousness. That bliss, that love, all barriers, all tensions, all impediments to that receptivity are being dissolved. There is no difference. We are one with that. There is no definition of us. Keep expanding that outward. Imagine yourself to merging into divine consciousness.